Good morning and welcome to the Lakers Lowdown. I'm Anthony Irwin. Today on the show, the Lakers went up to Portland and got their asses kicked. Just outright disaster. This is a game that the kind of the Lakers kind of sort of needed to have. They do not have anywhere near enough time in the rest of the season to like mess around in the way that they did in this one. Um, from coaching on to executing, it was just, it was all bad. So we'll talk about it briefly because I don't want to talk about it for very long. Let's start with, well, the starters. Um, I am of the opinion and have been of the opinion ever since Dennis Schroeder was first traded to the Lakers the first time around that he is a bench player. His, like, if he is ever on a good team, um, it will not be as the starting point guard of that good team. Uh, he, he just he doesn't shoot well enough, and he isn't big enough uh, to defend anybody in any real meaningful way. Uh, he was, you know, he gets touted as this point of attack defend defensive guru or whatever. I, he's just, I <laughs> look, Dame is Dame, and Dame was special. The entire Portland team was special, and we'll talk about that. In, in a little bit, but, um, like he is, he being Dennis Schroeder is not big enough to really deter anybody that he's defending. Like he's a nuisance and he can be kind of a gnat defensively for a few possessions here or there. But I really think like point of attack defense is just kind of overrated in general and specifically Schroeder's brand of it. That is just kind of annoying for a little bit and then the best guards just kind of rip him apart like he's a he's he was a six man or six man of the year runner-up like that's his best role that that OKC team that he was on when he was the six man on that team overachieved in part because you know he was slotted at a at a spot that he it can can really kind of thrive in um, I've always thought while he and Russ were on the team together this year, it was kind of a bummer that, you know, Russ was playing that six-man role when really that should be Schroeder, especially now that the Lakers have a secondary creator in D'Angelo Russell, and you obviously have your primary creator in LeBron James when, when whenever he is healthy. And according to Darvin Ham, he is going to be available um, in all likelihood, Wednesday in their final game before the All-Star uh, break. But, uh, yeah, I, I just... The, the, the problem with... I understood, by the way, Schroeder starting with LeBron out. Uh, you want some continuity or whatever. And, you know, he and Russell, in theory, are a pretty good backcourt, right? Russell operates like a shooting guard for the most part anyway. But uh, I just... It really left the second unit thin, and you know that that first group jumped out to an early lead, um, and then they started giving up, you know, wide open three pointer after wide open three pointer after wide open three pointer. Portland gets into a rhythm and never really gets out of it, um, and and then the second unit comes in, and Austin Reeves is being asked to spearhead that offense, and that's just not his role. He's a secondary creator. He's he's not. He's not your primary, you know, initiate the offense type of ball handler. That's not that's not what he should be out there doing. And yeah, it was a disaster. Uh, as soon as that second unit went out there and the Lakers were playing catch up and and they never really made much of a game out of it. 
and you know again this is a this was a a game against Portland um you know they are trying to ingratiate new pieces into their rotation um and they still don't have use of Nurkic this was a game that the Lakers should have at least been competitive in even if they didn't have LeBron but it was just an outright shellacking uh really from that first few subs in and you know it, I I I think once again uh the Lakers are really kind of having to be better than their coach and uh it you know at some point you would hope that he learns but you know before the game he said that uh for the foreseeable future Schroeder and D'Angelo Russell are going to be starting that would seem to indicate that even when LeBron comes back that's going to be the starting backcourt and I just I don't get it to be absolutely clear again while LeBron has been out I kind of understood Schroeder starting I I think it puts a second unit at kind of a weakness but whatever whenever LeBron comes back though Schroeder starting is just it's just stupid like I, I don't get it. Uh, every team for the vast majority of LeBron's career, especially as soon as we started recognizing the importance of spacing, I, if you put shooting around LeBron, you have an elite offense. It was just, it, that's the equation. That's what every other team other than the Lakers have seemed to have found out and figured out. But for some reason, the Lakers just keep on trudging along with Magic Johnson's experiment that LeBron himself defined, you know, described as a fart noise. Uh, they just keep on trying to stick a primary ball handler back there who doesn't really space the floor next to LeBron. And wouldn't you know it, it doesn't really work that well. And yeah, LeBron and Schroeder's numbers this year, uh, I guess they're, uh, you know, Sabrina said it on Twitter today that they are a plus five uh, in net rating this season. But if LeBron only makes you, like if, if, if for any, and by the way, if, if that's your starting unit, most of LeBron's minutes are going to be next to the Dennis Schroeder, and you're only going to be five points better you know, per 100 possessions in those moments. That means that you have to be that much more efficient when LeBron isn't out there, and we know that the Lakers aren't good enough to carry those minutes. So that means like while LeBron is out there, and especially while LeBron and AD are out there, you have to be your absolute best. You have to maximize. You have to optimize those minutes. And if you have Schroeder out there who doesn't space the floor, uh, and you have Rui out there, Rui Hachimura or uh, Jared Vanderbilt, neither of those guys space the floor. And you also have Anthony Davis out there, and he doesn't space the floor. Then all of a sudden you have one floor spacer out there in D'Angelo Russell. And by the way, like he's not your traditional floor spacer. Like he's not really a catch and shoot threat really. So you uh, once again have figured out this way to have no real floor spacers with LeBron in your primary lineup. <laughs> it just doesn't I don't understand it. I don't I don't know how we have arrived here. Look, let's just put it this way. The Lakers have had LeBron for four-ish seasons, right? You know, going <laughs> uh they have, they won a championship one year and in that season started Contavious Caldwell Pope or Avery Bradley at point guard, right? Like it was just like a, it was not your traditional point guard. LeBron was in charge of the creative duties. They didn't even really have a secondary creator in those, in those lineups. 
Um, and and you know that was a LeBron that was a few you know a few years younger. That was a LeBron who was a few injuries fewer. And and yeah, like he was a more explosive player back then and could carry that kind of weight, right? And uh, but still, like you would think with D'Angelo Russell as your secondary creator, uh, that that would be enough to make it so that you know you do still have the spacing out there. And you have somebody who can alleviate some of the creative burden on LeBron. So, like, that's that's all you need. That's it. You don't need any further creation beyond that. Uh, I think between LeBron and D'Angelo Russell, that allows you, from that point on, to focus on some spacing, right? Malik Beasley is an absolute—I mean, he hasn't shown it to this point as a Laker, um, <laughs> which, of course, because it's not even a bit at this point. But— I Malik Beasley, you stick him out there, and at the very least, while he's out there, defenses care that he's open from three-point range. So that offers you some spacing. And then that allows you from there to, you know, if you want to play Rui and have more of a natural small forward out there, you can do that. Uh, if you want to have uh, Jared Vanderbilt out there for kind of some more length and athleticism defensively, you can maybe do that. And then obviously you have AD. Like that, those six guys you know, pick five of them from there. And that should be kind of your, your, your starting group. And they play more possessions than just about any other lineup out there. And you maximize LeBron's minutes. That should be the point. That should be the goal here. Not, not trying to alleviate any kind of a burden on him. Um, and, and, and overcorrecting in that direction by playing him alongside Dennis Schroeder. That just, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. And, and with the way that, offenses operate now with all of the motion and all of the pick and rolls and when you have uh primary initiators coming from the wing on you know like a, a third or so of the games that you're playing in having a point guard a tiny little point guard by the way Dennis Shooter is really small as like you know playing him for the sake of point of attack defense just doesn't make any sense it just it doesn't you're you're losing focus on what you should be prioritizing there and and I think it's really hurting the Lakers and and I think if they continue to do this then you know they're going to keep trudging along in mediocrity or worse and they're going to wind up missing out on the play in or the playoff um, when they do have a chance here to go on a run and now look uh, part of this is I don't want to overreact to a game where Portland just was absolutely bananas from three-point range. Like you don't, you're not going to see very many teams hit on the percentage from three-point range that that Portland was hitting in this one. Um, and you know, some of this they came back to down to earth during garbage time or whatever. But you know, on the night they go 23 of 47 from three-point range. That's almost 50 percent um, from distance. And you know, when you yourself shoot. Uh, 12 of 37, which again, some of the garbage minutes there help make up some of when the Lakers were making some of those shots. But when you allow a team to shoot or when a shoot team shoots almost 50% from three-point range, you're just not going to win. And chances are you're going to get your butts kicked. And the Lakers, for the most part, last night did. Um, I will say, though, and you know, I, I'm sorry that it seems like I'm piling on Darvin Ham at this point. I just don't think he's very good at his job. But Darvin Ham, uh, you know, in his general approach to defending, uh, he likes to utilize drop coverage, right? 
And that's fine because most guards, you know, you would kind of take them shooting a pull-up three-pointer, but Dame isn't one of those guards. And when Dame has it going, you don't want to let him just kind of dribble into three-pointers. Um, and so he, you know, he, he, I think he made like eight three-pointers in the first half. Um, that wasn't ideal. Uh, the, the Blazers, as a team, made 17 three-pointers in the first half. Again, not exactly ideal. And there just wasn't much of, a, of, a, of an adjustment. And by the time you started to see some adjustments being made in the second half, the game was you know, pretty much out of reach. So, uh, yeah, I, I understand kind of the math behind the drop coverage that, that Darvin Ham utilizes. Uh, he comes from Milwaukee, and that's the way that they do it. They have Brooke Lopez there. He can't do anything really but uh, drop coverage. So, like, that, they're kind of forced into that decision. But when you're playing a front line of Jared Vanderbilt and Wenyan Gabriel, and you're asking them to just kind of drop into, you know, only focus on drop coverage, um, that I think is kind of a misusage of what their skill sets could be. Uh, those guys, like you, in in those kind of lineups, you switch. <laughs> you at least, you know, you at least switch it up, right? Whether you, you on some occasions you switch, some occasions you blitz, whatever it is. But you don't just keep like hammering away or get hammered away by the same type of play or the same type of approach defensively, and allow Portland to not just gain the rhythm that they did but maintain that rhythm for the entirety of the game. I, I I just think, once again, it was... And look, like, you're playing without LeBron or whatever, so to a certain extent, like, that's going to be kind of the, the qualifier on all of this analysis of everything else that was going on. But I, for one thing, we don't know how often LeBron is going to be available, so they, you know, they're going to have to figure out a way to be more effective whenever he is not there. And two... Even given, you know, the lowered expectations that you come with LeBron not playing, I just think the Lakers, you know, continue to make the same mistake over and over and over and over again. And, you know, they just don't have enough time to refuse to learn from their mistakes. Last thing on this for I promise I'm going to move on as it pertains to lineups. But, you know, once again, AD, you know, he goes for 19 and 23 blocks. Like, the the counting stats look pretty good. But, you know, he shoots 8 of 18 from the field. Um, Never really looked like he was in a great rhythm offensively. Earlier in the season, when the Lakers, I thought, were starting to kind of turn a corner, even despite the bad roster, the Lakers were really focusing on AD as being kind of the centerpiece of the offense. And for some reason, they have moved completely away from that. And, you know, since he has come back, I don't know if it's because they're trying to, you know, not put too much weight on that foot that everybody is kind of worried about or whatever. But since AD has come back, he just hasn't really looked to as as aggressive um, as he did right before he went down. And, and uh, some of that, like, just kind of comes with the territory. He's clearly playing through some stuff. He seems to be just kind of going through some stuff. I, I, you know, I believe he deactivated his Instagram account or something like that I saw on Twitter, which is, which is kind of odd. But uh, I, I just, when you play a lineup, with so few shooters, you know, where Schroeder doesn't really space the floor. 
Uh, D'Angelo Russell kind of does. You have Rui Hachimura. He doesn't really space the floor. And, and you know, who was their other starter? They had Troy Brown Jr. And, like, he's technically a shooter, but no team really is, like, running out there to the three-point line with their heads on fire um, whenever he's standing out there. And all it does is just creates so much congestion. Uh, Portland spent a lot of time in a zone in this one. Um, and the entire reason they were playing so much zone was so that they, you could have, like, you know, some help for Drew Eubanks and, and, and that kind of player. So, like, there were the occasional touches that AD got in the post and he just kind of spun baseline and got easy looks there. But, uh, they you know, if they, there's just nothing being created that looks very easy for AD on, on a regular basis. Occasionally, there's kind of a breakdown or he gets a, a putback or something like that. But the Lakers aren't really doing anything by design, it looks like, to get AD going. And... And I just, you know, especially on a night where LeBron is out, that's your most talented player. He should score more than 19 points, like flat out. Like you need to do something more to get him going, whether that's uh, the lineups that he plays out with, out there with, or whether it's the kind of sets that you run whenever he is out there. But, you, you know, or, or like a, a systemic approach to getting him touches on a more regular basis. Like the Lakers just need to do more to get AD going. Um, especially given how great he was before he went down. All right, that is going to do it for a Lakers lowdown that I said was going to be short. My apologies for that, I guess. Um, the Lakers, again, dropped this one to the Portland Trailblazers in Portland, 127-115. to 115. Um, They, you know, in terms of standings right now, it, it's not necessarily... Nervous time. I, 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 there's still enough time to make up some ground here, but if you look at the standings, uh, the Lakers are sitting at uh, after this one, uh, 26 and 32. The Utah Jazz are sitting at the 10 seed at 29 and 30. The Lakers sit uh, two and a half back of Utah here. Uh, they lose to Portland, obviously, which allows Portland to, to, you know have some separation there between them and the Lakers. Uh, you have to think Utah is probably going to drop out of this thing because they want to. Um, we did get some news that the New Orleans Pelicans are not going to have Zion Williamson for the foreseeable future. Uh, so maybe they drop a little bit, but you're still looking as the Lakers, like if they're going to get into this, you need one or two teams to drop out of this thing and, and you need to go on a run. Like at some point, you need to get something going, some momentum going in a positive direction. And you look at it, like the last stat here that really makes me kind of nervous. Um, you look at the point differentials of, of all of these teams. And, you know, the worst point differential in the playoff or play in picture is the Clippers. They are a net nothing. They are uh, points per game, opponents point per game, is dead even at 111 per on both sides of the ball. Uh, everybody else, though, is, you know, in the green. In, in the, they, are, they are a positive point differential team. The Lakers are a negative 1.4. And, like, again, just for some kind of context here, for the positive 1.4 and up, you're talking about the Phoenix Suns. You're talking about uh, the, the New Orleans Pelicans. You're talking about Sacramento Kings, Memphis Grizzlies, Denver Nuggets. Like Those are some of the better teams so far this season in the conference. And the Lakers are like 
that type of statistical output output but on the wrong side of that equation they're <laughs> so if the lakers are really going to get something going here they need big changes and that's why like for all of the talk of well they need to maintain some continuity and all of that like i just don't know why you need to maintain continuity with a 26 and 32 team if anything you need to shake shit up and, and and allow those wrinkles to be ironed out over the course of the last 20 games or so of the season. Um, and, and the longer that you wait to rip that Band-Aid off, the less time you're going to have to work out the rotation after you finally fix the issues in your rotations. So, I don't know. I, I'm not necessarily optimistic, especially given Darvin Ham's comments before the game that Dennis Schroeder is going to be the starting point guard for the foreseeable future. But... Uh, I think it would be a giant mistake. I think it would be a really big mistake and one that the Lakers just, it might not be able to overcome all of the mistakes, all of the issues that led them to this point. But if they're going to, it's going to start on Wednesday against the New Orleans Pelicans. So until tomorrow and until we, we get a little bit more clarity on, on everything that's going on here about with the Lakers, buyout market, LeBron's injuries, rotations, all that stuff, I'm Anthony Irwin saying have a good one.